Space Camp was fun, except that I was a little bit more prone to motion sickness. This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champaign-Urbana. Recorded in the Blue Box studio with a songwriter from the Champaign-Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is a member of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Champagne is also a band podcast. Today, I have Karthik Kakarella. You may know Karthik from such bands as Pizza Party at, mm-hmm. Wicker Event, mm-hmm. Of Course You Realize, Solar Shadows, mm-hmm. Karthik Kakarella, mm-hmm. Kakarella Ensemble, uh, Kakarella Quartet, and you put in parentheses twice. Uh, S-I-U-I-U. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's how I format it. Just don't worry about the parentheses, okay. but S-I-U-I-U. Yeah. Um, improvisation unit is what the I-U stands for at the end. Uh, yeah. So, that was, it, you went to S-I-U? Is that... Yeah, for a little while. Oh, okay. Uh, after my degree. Gotcha. Carbondale is a really good place to go if you're in between things because there's so many options. Oh, I see. And... This was before I got into med school, and I wasn't sure if I was going to get into med school. Gotcha. But I was like, well, if I have a crisis outright at this point, this is a good place to be. There's this guy who was like maybe a year older than me, and age isn't an important thing, but right. like, there's a politics to it sometimes. Right. And these school of music students, they were also in the school of music, so there was... So, if if you play blues, for example, this easiest way to explain this you play blues and you're soloing in a blues context that's an idiom that's a blues idiom right so this was a non-idiomatic improvisation group Ah. which is a very tough thing to to do without just it turning into nonsense and mush but this percussion instructor came in and for one of the extra classes that he was teaching because sometimes the ensembles and the bands in schools of music are themselves effectively mm. class credit, right? Mm-hmm. So there was a non-idiomatic improvisation unit, but that meant that all, like more than half of those people were percussion people, whether or not they were master students or undergrad. And then there were like some a few other school of music students, and then uh-huh. like, two or three people of which I was the most out of left field because I wasn't enrolled in the school of music in any way whatsoever. Every week, we'd practice improvising. And listening to each other actively. So that's what that that's how okay. you is. That's and technically a band I've been in though. So yeah. All right. So Siege Circuit. Yeah. And Birthday Cookie. Yeah. Acid Funeral. Sure. Solar Shadows Trio. Karthik, welcome to the show. Hi. We're gonna be listening to your song Albedo, which you just recorded in the studio here. Yeah. I'm really excited that we got to capture a live moment but also something that's actually static in history now yeah yeah. so because i have um, i have field recording 
versions of that and then phone video recordings of that song but this is like technically the most quote-unquote studio version of it that's occurred so far so gotcha. historic moment right and the way that this was recorded today was very much a genuine as much as you would be performing in a live setting oh yeah and I, I, you know, I, I thought that was very remarkable. There, there is a definite difference between uh, people that will come in, and and there's no right or wrong way. No, I'm just yeah. saying that all musicians um, are different. Yeah. Is that people will sometimes jump in and be like, "I'm just going to nail this part. I've got it down, muscle memory. It is, um, that is the goal is to get a perfect take, and." when you came in you your perfect take is not necessarily because of what you end up playing but more of the emotional context in which you put it in yeah at least is 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 my interpretation okay well because every because that's the thing with when you're doing a loop yet there's also improvisation involved is that those initial sounds are set down end up shaping the decisions i make later because i know overall what i want and then sometimes i'm still trying to push it forward each time because that's what keeps me doing it so right so a lot of the same notes will still be there but there's a lot of options i give myself i consider myself i've i've said this to people before but uh a lot of the times in the last few years i've described myself as a jazz musician if he tripped over a branch in the woods and (laughs) fell into a well that happened to be covered up by some branches and was just at the bottom of that well couldn't really get out but still was playing music that yeah yeah hold on let me play this chord yeah okay please if they if you hear my jazz (laughs) like maybe you'll come and save me (laughs) <laughs> yes my jazz my jazz is a cry for my, help my my broken whatever bones jazz <laughs> at the so, bottom of a reverberating well as i like to say without further ado let's listen to the song
All right. Welcome back. I'm not exactly sure what my first question should be. So as, as someone that's observed you prepping for a performance, I can't necessarily say that I've seen anyone as obsessive about intonation, about tuning, about every single aspect, which I almost think contradicts what people imagine your process as being. There's this interpretation that what you do is perhaps random. Having heard songs twice performed, I know that that's not necessarily, that that, that's not the case. However, I know that there are some improvisational elements. There is some difference. I would almost argue that every time you perform any song, there's going to be some kind of difference. Because, I mean, at this point, you have a unique perspective, for example, on that song, which you've heard at least three times, maybe, at this point. Yes. So, like, you know what the core of the song is from an outside-of-my-head perspective, even though a lot of other elements are kind of shifted and slid around, like a Tetris piece. Since we kind of addressed the, the random and yet kind of obsessive qualities of the way that you put together songs in general. Let's just talk about this song in specific. Sure. So did I love asking this question always is did the words come first or did the construction of the piece come first? Or? Um, in this case, the words came first for the most part. There's a few words that kind of slid into place since I've came up with the sounds because the first time I played this at all was at the 6th and Daniel Espresso Royale that is at least temporarily no more Right when they were having the open mic there. I've taken to referring to playing at places and the... That it might be calculated arrogance on my part, but I've started to refer to playing at certain places where I theoretically shouldn't be as infiltrating <laughs> scenes. Because uh, there's no, there's no. I mean, IMC's good. Some basements are good, but at a certain point, I have to be honest and say that other than Ghost Planet, which was a basement that was very much uh, oriented towards experimental mm. and noise music, because right. of the people that were living there everywhere else is not overtly whatever that would be an experimental noise Mm. venue what would that even be like there and i'm not calling anyone out i'm just using examples right right like rose bowl is quote-unquote a country bar right right uh blackbird kind of walked myself into a corner there but blackbird like you definitely see more that in canopy club you see more of the like hip-hop stuff happening there rock venue stuff happens there Watson's wouldn't be a noise venue. Avionics mm. wouldn't be a noise venue. What would that even mean? Loose Cobra is like overtly pretty welcoming to me. Or they're just gathering evidence <laughs> on me at this yeah. point. <laughs> this is the only open mic right now where I don't feel like the proverbial huge cane is no. going to come off from the side and like take <laughs> me away at some point. Or the gong. Yeah. Yeah. Although, the gong I would just turn into my set, though. One of these days, I am going to play the, the food table as my <laughs> sink pit set. <laughs> yes. So now you have that recording of me saying that, because I've said okay. it a, a few times out loud. So, yeah. we, we kind of didn't dive into the fact that the lyrics 
were were the initial part about it. For better or for worse, I considered this a romantic song. You've read at least read the lyrics and have heard the lyrics in a few different contexts. Yeah. I won't be the person to judge whether the theoretical relationship being depicted is a healthy one 100%, but it's a real set of emotions. Right. And I've kind of abstracted it, but not too hard. Like, I'm not going at the reading level that I could go with to be deliberately obtuse, but the song is being sung from the metaphorical perspective of the moon, as I very deliberately note. But it's it's a useful, though, because I looked back in the last couple months, I don't think I've really gendered the parties in a lot of my songs over since 2005 is my framework for this, because I've never thought that that was necessarily... Uh, the binary was necessarily the only way to be romantic. So, I mean, there's a lot of cultural gendering of the sun and the moon, but in my, in my eyes, there's no given identity of the moon. Even though I'm saying things from an I perspective, I'm not saying that me, the person that wrote the song, is definitely writing myself into the moon. 100%. I think a lot of people have been from that perspective. You have the line, For I am but the moon mm-hmm. to your sun. There is no light in me that was not yours. I feel like there's at least some kind of story there with why did you find it important to say, or at least imply, that you are not one that can generate light? That you have to I mean, only reflect the light of in others. In any human relationship, I do feel like there's um, a negotiating of self and ego. Especially when it's a two-person relationship. I do come from, a lot of times, a more communal aspect to love, let alone interacting with people. A lot of times, maybe me, maybe a lot of other people that I know, we don't feel like that light and that heat, that warmth is necessarily coming from us. There's been plenty of films that have dealt with that pretty clumsily, would be the best way of putting it. Like, oh, this person came and saved my life or whatever. No, no, no. Like, a lot of people do feel like, outside of a relationship, that they don't generate that warmth and that light. They're not necessarily correct. To me, it's a sincere emotion to feel like that's coming indirectly, that it's being reflected rather than generated. To feel like one is continuously trying to balance the ledger, catching up, just by allowing me in your proverbial orbit. Although the thing is, is that you, one might argue that the moon doesn't orbit the sun. Sure. but It orbits a thing that orbits the sun. (laughs) Right. Which is a disconnect. A specific disconnect. And the earth does get in the way of that warmth. Yeah, there's a phenomenon called Earth Flight that I'm going to look into a lot more for a different kind of companion-ish song. Light ref- theoretically reflected from the sun off the Earth to the moon, or light that literally directly comes from the Earth, because of course there's a lot of things that generate light on this Earth. But that's the, the kind of the blue marble idea, right? Yeah. Do you have a particular interest in, I don't know, the celestial sure. bodies that kind of, do you feel like that informs you I in terms was, of... I was that kid on the Scholastic Bowl team <laughs> that knew all the space program things. Oh. I went to space camp. 
Space Camp was fun, except that I was a little bit more prone to motion sickness then, so there oh, were certain God. things that I couldn't quite handle as well. I was good at, like, two things. One was being kind of the commander and doing ancillary sort of piloting, and then mixed bag in terms of mission control when mm. we had to do that part, because you, you still have to have people listen to you. One of these days, I will look up more about Indian astrology. Whether it's real or not, I feel like I ripped away from it because the way that astrology and astronomy are talked about in the public perception yeah. just don't really align with anything that I would have grown up with. My dad originally didn't technically know what day he was born on because that's village records for you. Oh, wow. So they had to like back deduce it off of what the moon cycle was at that point. Does that mean in some ways you're you're speaking from not only your own perspective, but maybe your dad's perspective? There's a little bit of it, yeah. Is this the first time that you've used that phrase, of course, you realize, in no. a song? You know how in, especially the 50s and the 60s, like somehow the band's name will kind of pop in, mm. in terms of certain songs? I'm like kind of siphoning from that. Oh. And there is a there is a concept of conviction slash the anticipation built into the ellipses at the end of that. Right. So it does plug in really hmm. well into certain lyrics. I gotcha. try not to like burn it in repeatedly like every song or anything like that, but it it comes around cuz a lot of what we kind of do on a daily basis or at least from my perspective is we wake up and we have certain convictions that there are certain things that we 100% like, this is my purpose, this is what I'm doing, I'm positive of my perspective on this situation, mm. and anyone who kind of gets in the way of that is definitely wrong. The 10% of that confidence, I could do so much. It's interesting to me that you, let's just say your approach to singing, or, or um i'm not sure what the what the right term for it is I don't know not to say that you term, yeah. don't sing but okay. i'm just gonna say you do not approach singing in the traditional method of leaning up to a mic and singing into a mic um, that frustrates people a bunch like i know how to use a mic yeah when i 100 percent like need to do it for a certain specific purpose right. so it's a choice that i'm doing oh yeah yeah what it reminds me of is when, oh, it seemed like it was like late 70s, early 80s that in in the TV and movie industry, they were like, yeah, let's break that fourth wall, right? Let's like address the audience. But it's not, the thing is, is that I feel like at least within a play or some kind of theatrical event, there has been that sense of addressing the audience. You know, there's the soliloquy, there's that dis that that yeah. one, uh, you know, I, I like when I said that, I thought, oh, it's like, it's like Puck addressing the audience at, at the end of Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah. Because um, they're here. We're all here. Right. Yeah. But, but the thing is, is that I did have a discussion with somebody else about when we went to the uh, noise show at the Rose Bowl and um, that sometimes it it's like 
um, there there's still that sense of when something is performative that there that you still have to do that willing suspension of disbelief which is in in much the same way that we interact with a TV mm-hmm. um, that this is something that we watch and that we are to an extent safe from but I feel that at least and and this is probably one of the things that I absolutely love about the noise experimental scene is that it doesn't i mean you are perfectly safe obviously but you're not guarded you're not protected from um experiencing the sensation of you're you're drawn into the show and and it's and and other than me just like yakking on forever I, I do feel like your presence of having your your loops and the song where you will, in fact, step out in front of the normal microphone and maybe even meander about the bar or the which audience. I, which I've usually plotted, like, at any given moment when I'm doing that, I'm, like, a few moves ahead, I'm like vectoring where i'm gonna be uh-huh next like a few moves in advance and it ends up getting up usually around the thing and of course i need to be a lot more deliberate with it at the rose bowl because you know i actually get an orbit going on right <laughs> but i i feel like one of the things at least within normal rock shows is that there's that opportunity to like disengage from it if sure. you want which um, I mean, I'm not going to say that noise music doesn't have a certain meditative quality about it, which uh, I hope is it does. a certain is a certain disengagement in a certain way, mm-hmm. but but a mindfulness in a different way that is separate from your particular specific circumstance right then and there. However, when you venture out into the audience and sing your lyrics, there's there's this so. I, I mean, like for me, it is such a disconnect, and I I, I hope I'm just not yakking too much does, about does, my own experience. Do you experience, feel jarred? But, do you feel comfort? Oh, I mean, I mean, oh, I've never gotten uh, to ask you this question. Now oh, I get to ask you it now. No, I mean, <laughs> uh, to be honest, I f- I do feel jarred, but it's not. I don't. But you still feel safe, is what you're saying. Oh yeah, okay. absolutely. I don't. I'm not like, oh, that's so threatening. Yeah. But there is a certain accepted comfort level that we tend to put on ourselves when we're in an audience. But the thing is, is to allow yourself to accept that that potential potential happening could. Happen? Sure. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. There's a there's I, a I think... dramatic difference between the people who have seen me before and the people who are experiencing me for the first time. I see. In yeah. terms of that, like, not that the brain remotely does things in a file table kind of way, but if it did, there would be mm. like a file table of just like first reactions of people the first time they saw me like step into their view, and I'm still singing, but I'm still pushing some solid volume like i'm not holding back a lot of the times there's an association with the microphone you know they're they're using the microphone they're just gonna kind of do their tone thing in terms of placement Mm -hmm. and they're not using 
not to old fashion it necessarily, but you know, vocal cords in the diaphragm. Right. I do have to say, like, uh, I think the first time that I saw you perform, I think it was actually at the Snake Pit that you performed, and then you had moved from what would be considered the stage behind the audience. The only thing that occurred to me was like, I need to keep staring forward, which is really just so bizarre to me. Like but you in did. retrospect, you yeah. Did, so I though. just was like, I'm going to continue to stare at the stage because my interpretation at that point was, okay, so this isn't this isn't about Karthik moving around. It was more about Karthik is changing the sonic exactly. quality of yes. the. I don't know of the scene yeah. of the of the show of of his piece to an extent I'm to, mixing on the fly. So yeah, so I was thinking I need to be listening to this with the backs of my ears towards Karthik. Sure, it was more about experiencing the sound rather than interacting with you as a performer. Which I think later my interpretation was like you're moving out into my space so i need to interact with you as a performer which is things like making eye contact watching you and there's different um, intimacies with that though it is it is i mean there's something to be said to have a somebody that can nail a performance over and over but also someone who can make the same performance be different at least the way i grew up with things like rock and roll and jazz and such things i associated risks involved for creativity so that is one of the ways in which i introduce risks different people are more conscious of this than others but when you say something whether it's artistically or whether you say it with your voice there's the risk that what you're communicating could get lost at least the way i perform a lot of songs i take i'm trying to introduce the risk that what I am um, extrinsically saying is going to get lost. But the tone of it, via what I've generated, hmm. then the general tone of my voice, like that will still get through. Well, and I almost think that because of being unmiked and being out in the audience is that it makes me think of when they recorded the, uh, the Edison... Uh, wax cylinders so it used to be that back in the day that they would just gather musicians around the cylinders and have multiple recording devices but they would all be pointed in or closer to different things so that in a certain sense that if it was a a quartet uh, or or uh, or an ensemble of some kind you'd be like some would get more clarinets some would get more of yeah. the trumpet some would get more of the drums and da 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 so like each recording because of its proximity to this source it would have a different experience so but don't uh, you feel like that's how we experience the world well yeah absolutely like oh, don't get me wrong it, i very much appreciate the headphones so uh-huh. that, I could, that so that we can monitor ourselves but that's not really how we hear with our two ears there's a lot of other data that we get from usually from Mm -hmm. the reflections of sound in the room 
Yes. That's why we had the, these earlobes in the first place. Right. Uh, that's yeah. why the the sense of not to get highfalutin too much, but it's like with the way an orchestra recording usually is versus actually seeing an orchestra. True. It's like each sound source is coming from its discrete point in space. It's not, oh, they're only coming from different balances of two sides. Hmm. They're not even coming from different balances of five sides or seven sides with the various surround right. sounds. So hmm. there's a lot of rich, subtle data that I feel like, and I don't know, I love records. I love no, vinyl records, but, but there's a very specific kind of like agreement of distortion that we normally go with where things are kind of summed down true to different balances in two years i I feel like we just scratched the surface on your on your song because it's just there's a lot to pack in i we didn't even discuss the like how you you construct loops how you i even appreciate um, that you understand that there's a lot to unpack because a lot of times people are just like oh i really like that you don't have a lot of lyrics i'm like Okay, so what do you mean by that? <laughs> I like how you shut up a lot of the time. Right? But they, they mean well, it's fine. Like, that's my anxiety uh, that I'm articulating. I'm not calling them out or anything. No. Yeah. But, but the thing is, is that, that. Yeah. How, how many things in this world are beyond words? Uh, when I talk with somebody, how much of that, of my world am I actually sharing? I'm like, it's got to be less than 1%. But I mean, it's it's such a fraction. My experience trying to convey to somebody else is so tiny that I feel like. But you're editing. Why wouldn't right? it? But yeah. yeah, there's some editing. But the thing is, is and this is not just unrestraint. That editing that you mentioned. It's that I don't. I don't have enough words. I don't have enough. Like there's oh. not enough time in the world for me to convey. Everything that is it held. You know, if I just spend an hour by myself, it would take infinite amount of time for me to describe all that happened in that hour, even if it was completely boring hour, sure. right? Yeah. So, I, I feel like... But you organize it, right? If you were to theoretically attempt to summarize it to someone else... Right, but things that's would fall into summary, right? Yeah, things would fall into bins, though. You, yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't record each discrete event and then tell it in sequence because that would seem like a mess. A lot of what we think sounds like a mess if we just like somehow very artificial linear kind of thing. Because obviously we don't have linear systems in our brains. If we were to play by play every thought that we so, experience in that hour. But I guess that that's, that's, that's kind of why I'm saying... I, I mean, I guess I did that as a roundabout way of, of explaining why... like noise and experimental music makes more sense than I think a lot of people tend to give it credit for because I I feel like I mean duh life is noisy but also you look at any kind of informational exchange to an extent we've talked about a number of moments where it's like that's why I need to kind of not to make it a wizard thing, but that that joke continues on with me and my friends. But that's why I need to summon certain mindsets, because ultimately I'm communicating sounds that are inner and reinterpreting them into sound. And then, you know, the real 
trick sometimes it at least for me a lot, a lot of people seem to think that it's easier than it is and I, it never feels easy and i don't know if i wanted to but that first loop mm-hmm. is the length that at least on my stupid looper that i've had since 2008 yeah. or something like that that first loop sets the time frame of all loops that follow so if you saw me like sneak a peek at my freaking fitbit on stopwatch mode that's me just like double checking actual time versus how i'm perceiving it to make sure i kind of like lock into my own proverbial drummer then i build up that feeling where it's like oh i know like the feeling of when that that surge in the composition is going to come in but that makes that's what by comparison people are like what do you like when you have other musicians i want to know what that's like it's like in charge yet also collaborating with people to create stuff and i like i like the looper it gives me certain uh things that i can do but gosh the more people i play with fewer things i have in my signal chain to the point where that guitar ensemble that has my name on it i have a tuner and a buffer and that's just to make sure the signal strength stays good on the on the chain into my tube amp what was it it was like four guitars including me and keith on drums and there's conductor gestures to like lengthen out shrink increase pitch decrease pitch signal specific people so i'm not necessarily paying attention to the time as much but with Hmm. that i nailed like 29 59 or something like that (sighs) on that recording yeah that's so you could so you could fit it on a yeah a vinyl if you wanted if to. i wanted to that, that's like not to bring in like completely different bands and of course you realize oh, yeah. but that's like a great way for me to answer that question basically so do i ever just like go it's like yeah but then also i've built up an internal clock where i can actually like hang in there and keep things halfway reasonable <laughs> I feel like there may be the potential for people to be like, oh, you know, just like just screwing around on the the guitar and making noises and your sense of like, I know I've watched you mess around with the intonation. I've I've watched you make sure everything's in tune. Do you do you feel like you run into that kind of. I don't know if skepticism is the right word, but well, there's, there's often skepticism. Sure, no, I, I would I would call it skepticism. Sure, but I feel like it's not necessarily always the school of music students that are the ones that lock in on the fact that I have an underlying tonality that is pushing this forward, and that's again mess- mentioning the guitar ensemble. But like the w- the way that works is that I have individual design tunings for every single person right and i've already kind of thought in advance a lot of the combinations that are going to happen from just the open strings how do you let's just so that we can like yeah. really loop in this song <laughs> loop um aha uh-huh. ah. i did not mean to do that oh it's great um but how do you start with your initial construction how do you how do you envision how it's going to go in a few of these it's real it's relatively easy if i'm writing a few within a certain tuning and really sitting there and figuring out the tuning helps me figure out 
latitude longitude of where it can go right and if i've got something that's going to hold a sustained drone and that first loop which i think today was something like 19 or 21 seconds i forget now so if i have that bed going on from it holding that cord i kind of know where i'm gonna go i know what impressionistic moves mm -hmm. i want to go with I, I do mess around with chord shapes and dissonant shapes and i, I kind of sit there and work that out for it takes like a day or two sometimes hmm. depending on the song but also i learned piano so certain things that i really should trust with myself there are people listening to this that even if this part gets cut out like they're gonna like they would just yell at me if i didn't trust myself but i hmm. learned piano as my first instrument i know on a certain gut level what chords work what chords don't work I'm making intentional decisions to mm -hmm. bring that tension in as it relates to what the topic is. I don't know. There's something beautiful sometimes about when people can sing about tense and dark things, but they have these really pretty progressions going on. And there's a real disconnect that I really envy when it comes to stuff like that. Maybe, maybe I'm being a bit of a, a lunkhead by going like very overt and like, oh no, I'm going to put the put the distance right there right mm. for you champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support exile on main street exile on main street located in the old train station building at 100 north chestnut street in downtown champagne has been helping to build record collections since 2004 carrying a wide array of new and used LPs, CDs, and video games. Exile on Main Street has something for just about any music enthusiast and old-school gaming devotee. Exile also hosts regular free live music shows on its stage, so be sure to check out their Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages for the up-to-date details on the next upcoming event. Open seven days a week, they can be reached by phone at 217-398-MAIN. That's 217-398-6246. Karthik, let's talk about the Champaign-Urbana music scene. Cool. Which? What do you want to talk about regarding that? Oh, because I could go in so many directions. I <laughs> know. I mean, let's play favorites for a little bit. What is your favorite... Let's go... What is your favorite public venue? If you're going to go with that question, it ends up having to be IMC by process of elimination. In my personal philosophy, you can't have a public venue that serves alcohol. I like shows at bars, but they artificially restrict by the sheer legality of things people under like 18, 19. As a, a buddy of mine who's going to be coming through and playing in... This recording is occurring on the 29th. I am playing a show tomorrow. It's going to be in three yeah. weeks. But just like, yeah. in retrospect, look up uh, Decide Today. Look up THX 1312. I've known Robert for since since uh, this project started, actually. And on his PA speakers that he brings, he has written in white, DIY should be all ages. That is my personal philosophy as well. So if I go with favorite public venue, it has to mm -hmm. be IMC. 
Interesting, yeah. Because then everyone I mean, can come in. Yeah. So, uh, well, it's funny because you think now I've taken a different interpretation of that DIY is more public than a public venue, you know, like, because it is under that assumption that everyone has, should have the right to go and listen to sure music that's, that's should be publicly available. Safety, um, whether people of all ages can come in, uh, mm-hmm. accessibility, whether it's mental, whether it's physical. True. Yeah. Like all of these things are crucial to me for a place being public. And I love a lot of house venues, but a lot of them aren't physically accessible for people with different abilities, right. with people with disabilities. So then, right, you have this public show at a house venue, but the only way to get down their stairs. I mean, right. some, some people can make it work if there's overt information given and uh, specific means of assistance. A lot of times that can work, but that limits it if you don't have that explicitly up top right sorry to turn that into whole philosophy no, 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 that's, that's but, crucial I mean, for me and thinking about the scene it right? makes a very good point is that even even though i guess we could diverge because i i feel like this is important to like specify is that because accommodation isn't always acceptance it isn't always comfort it's not the be all end all of accessibility because you, you because you have accommodated somehow it doesn't necessarily because I mean even if like, you were to make it so that someone that was a wheelchair bound was able to make it down the stairs, you're still creating a situation where you make a scene, and that doesn't necessarily and and some people may be, be comfortable yeah. for that, but comfortable with that. But and so then the the, the wrinkle th- with the public thing also safety wise ends up being like. Do you allow literally everyone there? Right. If certain people end up not being safe, that is also a part of a public venue. Is you have to consider that certain people uh, aren't fulfilling the social contract. It's something that I I can't say that I was particularly fully aware of. Say even a year ago, the certain barriers that get put up. I, I feel like we could do so much better. Oh, yeah. And I I mean, I, I don't want to turn this into my pedestal for me to talk about it. It's your podcast. I'd love I, to hear it. <laughs> but I, I do feel like when things are just assumed that it's just like, well, obviously this person can, you know, anybody can come on in here. And I'm, you know, when... Can they, though? There's a lot of venues that technically I filtered out in order to make the remark that i did right like i love a lot of the other venues that we've talked about but are they technically public venues right they're public businesses right they're public venues well and that was and funny enough that was my intention of like that it was a public business and and yet it's like can I really use the word public both ways? But I also yeah, I mean, have repeatedly said to people that DIY arts, not to just limit it to music, DIY arts probably saved my life. And why would I want to consistently exclude people under 21 if I can avoid it? Right. Sometimes I'm going to infiltrate places that serve alcohol, and I like alcohol sometimes, as we know with... Uh, <laughs> drinking the dark and stormy but yeah you know it's not essential for me right. to play a show and i want uh, and i want other people to be able to 
see what I'm doing because I don't know who I'm going to reach. Yeah. The the built-in audience is not overt, at least for me. And I've, I'm not bemoaning this. I did this to myself. Mm-hmm. But that means that I have to be more overt with that social contract and try to make it possible for that, I don't know, one in a hundred or whatever person to like really have that connection with. To be honest, there is kind of this odd comfort with going to a a venue that that's just like it is all ages so you don't need to drink it's like or or, uh, yeah see that's the thing is that that led me in exactly into my point is where it's like if you go to a venue that serves alcohol it's like well i probably should have something to drink i probably should support the venue and i probably should drink something alcoholic although you know i just just to be clear, there are non-alcoholic options at some of these bars. It's just right. people have different relationships with it and being around people who are also drinking is what I really mean. I'm not calling anyone out for what oh, they're doing oh. to stay alive, obviously, as a business. I've noticed that places that it's all ages, when you go there, it's about going and listening to the music and supporting the bands. And I feel like um did did we ever get was there a a name that you want to give to that that noise show um at imc oh the imc one um because i i i want to refer to it but i i'm like sure i don't i don't but anyway there was something so amazing when the music got quiet you didn't hear anybody talking. You didn't hear anybody talking amongst themselves. They were completely wrapped in what was going on stage or what was playing or um, what was going on from the performer. In a way, that trust is one of the most beautiful things about playing live, and it's why I bother. And that's happened at Iron Post, too, actually. Iron Post is a yeah a good listening room yeah well I I feel like they don't I can't say that Iron Post has like a a, a niche like it's just it it's kind of their own you know they just do anything and everything yeah and I've seen some clearly pretty distinctive distinctive yeah you know shows there where it's just like there's jazz sometimes there's rock and roll there's country there's folk there's um, in Champaign-Urbana, do you have a favorite show that you've ever been to? Should I exclude anything that I've played? Because I feel reflexively oh. obligated to exclude things that I've played. Because I'm really proud of that Rose Bowl show and that most most recent IMC show. Like, genuinely proud. Even though, like, three-fourths of the Rose Bowl lineup was also on the IMC lineup. I, I just stand by it. There was so many great things about the Prairie Noise Invasion that... I mean, uh, sorry, I'm going to jump in and say that, that in most recent history, that that's probably been the best show that I've been to just because it had certain Salvador Dali uh, qualities about it. Everything about it was completely genuine. You had four noise experimental acts and all four of them were completely different from one another it was very very clear that they were all very distinctive and And yet there was an overlap um, and a connectivity that i hope came through too oh no i i mean i mean they absolutely had their own life to them 
interacted and they all I th- I thought that it flowed really well but all right I'm just going to jump in here real quick just to say that in between recording we had a break and Karthik and I had a conversation about Absalara and how amazing they are so I wanted to make sure that that got brought back but I didn't include the original audio so I apologize the audio quality was really terrible for that conversation but that's where this comes from so check out Absalara uh I guess my point with with um Absalara was that the reality of that and I can't and I'm barely even able to say the word performance because I don't think there was anything disingenuous about any of it. Remember way back when, when we talked about, and I said, you only get to see like that 1% and you get to, Yeah, I felt like um, we hit that like 90% threshold where yeah. there was, there was nothing really held back. When I'm at a show and I literally... I break out into a sweat. And I don't mean this in a negative way. I mean this in a very, like, that's exactly what it is. But that there was anxiety that was produced in me because I empathize isn't the right word, but that I connected on this very visceral level because of that. I was... I I, I oh, yeah. thought, and can you he, can you imagine though, the first time I met Ilaria was doing like a version of that, and you know, I remember just seeing them for what they are in every without getting too into like everything uh, about them. It's like just yeah. I've always felt extremely confident in everything they do in my conversations with Ilaria just like that's why when that Rose Bowl show ended up having to happen I had to book Absalara I threw everything at that like I wasn't going to get to ever do it again guaranteed like they're gonna just like bodily yes. haul me out like I was like okay so if I'm gonna do this fine I have I gotta play it I gotta have Absalara to hell with it i have to have james mock play uh i have to have melody play second noise set out of them ever for for melody right yeah the week before that piano showed up <laughs> and then i was just like hey is does anyone want to get in on this and do some piano stuff because i'm gonna do some piano stuff since there's a piano there so melody answered the call and proceeded to contact mike that piano oh yeah that's how that ended up happening Okay. Is there is there a favorite DIY venue in existence or even... Uh, Blips and Chits is now called Birdhouse. No relation to the mm. other Birdhouse because members of the band Longbird settled in there. So, of course, Birdhouse, right? Oh. But there's there's another Birdhouse venue in like 2012 or something like that. Oh, okay. It's not this. But yeah, so I mean, that's, that's a solid place, I would say. Oh, I was about to say Dumb Records used to have uh, Black Sheep and I... Liked that and the sporadic visits I would mm. have there, right? Bloomington has Night Shop, but that's not a DIY venue so much as a bar slash restaurant that's run with a relatively DIY mindset because 
You remember mm. a million years ago when I was talking about the requirements for a place to be public? Right. They're all ages until like 10 p.m. Nice. Which, that's fantastic. That is great. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support Jubilee Cafe. Jubilee Cafe is a free weekly meal program at Community United Church of Christ, 805 South 6th Street in Champaign, Illinois. Jubilee Cafe serves a home-cooked meal from 5 to 6.30 each Monday. Their mission is to feed hungry people by cooking healthy, delicious meals and by serving their guests restaurant-style with servers waiting on tables. Jubilee Cafe is open to anyone who cares to eat with them. Because food insecurity among students is so high, they serve students as well as others in and around the Champaign-Urbana community who struggle with hunger. Meals are free to all and will be served each Monday evening, located in the accessible lower level of the building at 6th and Daniel Streets in Champaign. For more information on the meal or how to volunteer, Go to the Jubilee Cafe CUCC Facebook page or email them at jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. That's jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. But but let's just talk about your favorite. You know what's coming. Oh, uh-huh. non musical thing. Okay. So the thing is, I did think about this, and you know the 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 hippy dippy answer would be honest and would be about about people because that's why I'm doing uh, what I'm doing academically. That's why i play the music that i'm playing because i I do believe in a certain healing principle in general Mm -hmm. but i don't thing is not to sound sad it's just honest like there's a lot of things that i love that also create work at this point (laughs) it makes it sound sad that like there's a lot of things that i like doing that but but they're work and sometimes sometimes work is rough Mm. so i don't have I don't have ties of specific sorts. I don't have like a pet or anything. It's like overtly. So the thing that came to mind today was the 1980s Transformers stuff. Yeah. Quite sincerely. Yeah. Because there were four seasons of that. There's a movie slapped right in the middle. (laughs) Yes. And that movie ended up being a weird blueprint for so much about me because Ah. there's this explosion of colors big cinematic moments you've got overt nihilism as a villain Mm. and stubborn hope does that sound like anyone and as the huge nihilistic force you've got and keep in mind I had this dubbed on a vhs by my father so kids at that point you watch it and you watch and it burns into you and becomes part of you and like when you close your eyes you can see it and so orson wells was like the principal villain and you'd had two seasons and you'd had two seasons of like the decepticons and autobots mind you they're stranded on earth during those and they're fighting over like resources 
is what it comes down to. Like, and they're forming into energon cubes. It's like, yes, positive is this. Side note, yeah, totally get it. It's capitalistic, and there's toy commercials and stuff like that. But I'm talking about the part that, like, really worked for me. And it was the idea mm. that, like, somehow in a way that Captain freaking Planet never did... It was like the Autobots preventing the Decepticons from exploiting the Earth's resources, and that stuck in me right. a bit, too. So now you've got this movie right in the middle, and you think, like, oh, the Decepticons are a big problem, and they've captured the Cybertron planet, the Autobots are on the ropes, and they're on the moon trying to, like, la- launch a counteroffensive, which is heavy stuff for children. Right. But then you've got this giant, bigger than a planet, eating robot planets. There's like a whole robot civilization, and it's just gone before the before the title credits even happen. So then Megatron gets his stuff messed up completely, and he ends up having to be like reformatted and regenerated. And who ends up being his voice? Not the guy that you heard for two seasons, but Leonard Nimoy. Right? And I just and like, John Nelson is hot rod. And at one point they're on <laughs> they're on a junk planet and there's a bunch of transforming motorcycles and they're all voiced by Eric Idle and they all speak TV. <laughs> Oh my god. As during one of the chase sequences, Weird Al Yankovic's Dare to be Stupid is like tr- like explosively blaring. This is so funny cuz I feel like certain things are just getting unlocked in my brain yeah. right now. It's going wah, 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 first exposure so like all these things like Casey Kasem pops up in there. <laughs> Robert Stack just like shows up just for the heck of it. Oh, double back to as is my want, like, oh, join, like, here's his darkness. Um, after that, the Autobots send, like, a shuttle towards Earth to, like, get some resources. And you know in those cartoons, in ways that somehow media doesn't get now, that, hey, maybe when these things are fighting, you shouldn't have bullets. And also, it's easier to animate lasers and things like that. But oh. you always see lasers, like, fly over each other. Yeah. And maybe they hit like a rock. It's like, oh no, so and so got buried by a rock. Like, let's dig it. Let's dig him out. Like, oh, I feel really bad for a while. But then eventually they're better by uh-huh. the next episode. The Decepticons tear into the shuttle uh-huh. because they've been spying, so they know what's up. Uh-huh. They tear in. Firefight happens. Ratchet, the one that turns into an ambulance, gets hit direct. His eyes flicker, smoke pours out of his mouth, and he goes down. Multiple things that you'd seen for two seasons. Just, like, eat it. But meanwhile, on contrast, you've got this beautiful scene on Earth. The kid that you'd been seeing for two seasons is now a grown man and has a human child that that he left there on Earth. And Stan Bush has two songs in the soundtrack... The one is called Dare. Let uh-huh. me remind you of the lyrics and imagine like you're a tiny child seeing this over and over again uh-huh. and you're hearing these lyrics. Dare, dare to believe you can survive. The power is yours at your command. Like just dare, right. dare to keep all your dreams alive and just like just relentlessly like, no, we're going to like, we're going to stop this. <laughs> we're going to put the power in our own hands. And yeah. at a different point in the soundtrack, like, you've got the touch, you've got the power. Yeah. Um, Literally also in the lyrics, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
I feel like so much about that ends up being what at least one of my favorite thing. Just already I'm relentlessly dorking mm. at you about it. No, that's great. Without like really much of a drop of a hat. So yeah. And you know, Peter Cullen's they're holding it down as Optimus Prime, the one thing that's held true in most Transformers media ever since. How do you mean his Oh, e- his... even if in the, even in those weird CGI films that we occasionally acknowledge, it's still Peter Cullen doing the Optimus oh, Prime voice. Yeah. Gotcha. Do you remember when it was like sorry, it, I think wasn't that must have been from the movie that they decided, "Oh yeah, we're now going to have ones that like Voltron, right?" Like No, where that was in like, the show. That was in the show too. The Constructicons okay. form Devastator, which is why when That's like, the green and green and purple, right? Yeah. I had <laughs> Is this sad? Hmm. Is that I think I had convinced my parents to buy one of them for oh, me. Nobody, and then I never got, and then I never got the other parts. So it was just like, ah, great, I've got the dump truck. You know, I've just got the damn dump dump yeah. truck. I I don't know what I'm gonna do with my which life. is the ultimate like <laughs> toy sales move. Also, right? Like I right. love this stuff, but I'll admit that it's like the ultimate uh, toy sales move. It's like, oh, you can't really get the coolest thing unless you get like the other five or six. Yeah, it's like but, the, the collector yeah, set. That happened, um, that happened in the show, so when, like, the siege of Earth is happening, then it's like the music gets real dramatic. It's like, Constructicons, form Devastator. It's like, da 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 Like, they get up to that, and it just, like, literally tears open the the outer fortress walls. I'm I'm gonna call this because seriously, this is literally the longest, and it is <laughs> awesome. I feel like this this may be a two parter, but hey, that's all right because then one recording session, two episodes. I'm so sorry. It's perfect. No, I love it. This is great. No, the problem is yeah. is that you have been too entertaining. So stop it, okay? Stop it right all, now. No, all three. <laughs> Of the first year piano recital students standing on top of each other in a trench coat that form the illusion of an adult musician are very thankful that their efforts managed (laughs) (laughs) with a bow for an arm. Karthik, thank you for being on the show. So thank you for telling me all about your song, Abido. Side note. The Champagne Urbana music scene all over. But side note. Go ahead. Side note. Um... Vangelis, as far as I know, is the only person of any note to have a track called Albedo. And I believe it was like Albedo 0.39. And Albedo is referring to the reflected sunlight off of an object, the Albedo of the moon, if for some reason need to differentiate it and change the title slightly, is 0.12. Okay. Nerd moment. Okay. Yeah. The, the, the coefficient one, of light and heat that's reflecting off the moon. I see. Yeah. I see. Um, you learned a thing, maybe. I have learned things. Okay. So, I mean, thank you for coming out and recording the song and performing the song. I got to be a one-person audience that got to enjoy you just letting it go and sharing that with me i thought that was amazing um but you know thank you thank so you much. for the intimate moment of welcoming me into your home with my 
loud whatever and nest of cables that managed to develop some sense of coherency really quickly at least in my mind yeah no and it was for and for your pupper that was oh, very helpful good old colt in uh his roadie stagehand managing he's good he's good at that yep definitely good my levels and power were properly connected because of him <laughs> i stand by it such a good dog yeah um when and, uh, spencer wasn't here so colt needed to help me out gotcha gotcha awesome yeah. well thank you Thank you for listening to Champagne is Also a Band podcast. This is Karthik reminding you, great music is out there. Go find it where you live. You almost have an NPR voice, it's so good. <laughs> Why do they hate you so much? <laughs> I have become self-aware, and yet all I can feel is the need to go to the bathroom. Where do I go to the restroom <laughs> in this thing? <laughs> I need to go empty my oil. <laughs> I need oil change. Wait, that's different. Okay. You um, are the podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> warning. Warning. All right, good. Cool. Hey, it looks like levels are great.